Hey everybody, we're doing an episode today that deals with race and some people may not be up for a conversation about that and we respect it and this may not be the one for you. For those of you who are interested, stay tuned. We're getting right to it. And welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Dan Oliverio. I'm an author, public speaker, and chubby chaser. And today, I am officially half vaccinated. Half. Yay! You know, we Yay. were Trevor and I were talking this morning, and we just calculated that uh, here at the Big Fat Gay Podcast, we are officially 37.5% vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty solid number. And somebody was telling me that I, sh- I could be able to, like... That, that his friends were just basically just showing up at sites and they're like, yep, yeah, we have extras. Just get it. Yeah. Just get your shot. It's like, so weird. You're just waste. going to a CVS at the end of the day. Anyway, I derailed us. Yeah. <laughs> Who else is on the call? Oh, right. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it, me. I'm Trevor Pizan. I'm a super chub. I'm next in line. And um, tomorrow I'm going to be fully vaccinated. I guess because uh, this comes out on Wednesday, so never mind. Uh, hold on. And I am a fully vaccinated boy. Um, By the time this comes out. I still out, have yeah. to wait a couple weeks for full protection but yeah it's a good feeling yay uh uh, my name is michael i am a chaser and i haven't been vaccinated but i'm so excited for today (laughs) i'm excited for this podcast i'm excited to to what we're about to get to i like you guys you have no idea what's in store it's gonna be great oh my goodness um my name is don i'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny hollywood and uh i i am all the vaccination stuff's been taken. <laughs> I'm <laughs> the guy sitting in the corner wondering how do I make a quip about being half vaccinated. Uh-huh. But you're you're full vaccinated now. That's true. It's, it's Wednesday, so I'm fully vaccinated. <laughs> I got to update my statistics. So what does that make? I've actually been able to measure the progress of the rollout by how active my growler keeps gra- like just chirping at me over the course yeah. of a day. Like, <clears throat> is there a, a tag that you can add this whether or not you're vaccinated or half be. vaccinated? Jesus, uh, people be. have been adding vac like vaccinated yeah. to their names. Their profiles. Let me just say, I, uh, for those you of trusted. you who have, I don't know, who aren't acquainted with the apps, as we like to say, <laughs> um, I opened Grinder just because I was bored while I was waiting for Dan to get his vaccine. We were in you know uncharted territory because we had to go pretty far to get Dan his vaccine. And my phone, the the eruption of <laughs> like a new person after people have been kind of you know landlocked in their areas for so long. Oh my god! The yeah. the excitement. They're here. Yes. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, Trevor is quite the boutique item on something like Grinder, and so yeah. Mm. Oh my god! And he's here, and he's seventy five feet away. Oh my god! It was <laughs> the McRib is back. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. If you want Trevor or Don's Grinder profiles, we'll put that on the, <laughs> on the website That's right. at the end of the end of the episode. Um, we're here. We're back. Yay. And better than ever, maybe, possibly. You will let us know in a poll at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. How how we are in your eyes? We're going to be trying something today we've never tried before, never been done before. But I I'm quite excited. Yes. I think this yeah. is going to be. It's been a long time coming. Yes. Um. So before we get to that, uh, we have a couple. Uh, we've we've got some good stuff going on. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna build up your spirits a little yes. bit. Um. So. 
pop culture. Pop culture doesn't get me. There's plenty of things to get no. music in this you're podcast. Not, not pop not culture. See, you're not special. Um, <laughs> today, uh, we were talking about Yumi Nu, who is the first plus size Asian model for Sports Illustrated. Yay. Um, I had um, to read this twice because I couldn't believe it. Yes. <laughs> um, I was like, wait, what? So for this year's swimsuit issue, they have um, plus size singer, songwriter, model, triple threat, Yumi Nu on the cover, which is great. And actually, I'd like this article made me kind of realize Sports Illustrated is actually fairly progressive in their, I don't know, uh swimsuit photos and also uh their they do the body issue every year now which i think started in maybe 2016 or 2018 which um highlights different athlete bodies Mm -hmm. in the nude which i always kind of find out about because the chubs tasers and bears start posting about it on uh (laughs) on social media but it's just a delight uh yuminu is beautiful the picture they link to is stunning yes my god she is gorgeous which i mean i think crazy thing to me is like Sports Illustrated, and maybe this is just a holdover from, you know, when I was growing up, but it was like, it was, it was the thing that like, you know, teenage boys sort of like ogled over before they actually got like, got to real porn. It was like the training wheels for Playboy. The swimsuit (laughs) issue. Yeah. 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 Like the swimsuit issue was the, I don't know, like, I I just remember reading so many Foxtrot uh, comic strips where... Like that was the punchline was like the sexy girls in Sports Illustrated mm. swimsuit issue, and like it it just meant straight male fantasy, and which was know, the entry the fact- point though was it the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue or was it the uh, uh, Victoria's Secret catalog? Uh, both. I would say both. Yeah, but see, I don't think a stra- I don't think a straight fifteen year old guy is going to get caught with the Victoria's Secret catalog. Yeah, it's going to be the Sears catalog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, my, and then, still, his mother's going to say, "Why are you shopping online in a Sears catalog?" Mm. We wonder why so many right. guys, straight guys have a fetish for flannel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this was just, I yeah, I guess like Trevor, like I didn't realize that this is not. I mean, this is something they've been building up to for a little while now. I had no idea that Sports Illustrated, much like Teen Vogue, has been sort of quietly pushing forward the envelope without anybody necessarily noticing. And so it's cool to, like, shine a light on them and say, hey, like, good good job. Good job, Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. Yay. Uh, there was a, a quote from her that I wanted to share. Um, and Yumi, by the yes. way, in case that wasn't clear. Um, for Asian women, there's a lot of shame in flaunting your body and feeling sexy. And I think for me as a plus size model, we've had to evolve and battle this like inner voice that hasn't evolved. Mm. I'm plus size and Asian. That's why I'm like, this is important. She continued. I want to do as much as I can to show other people that we don't have to be dainty and little. I can say, I know in myself that I'm beautiful. That's great. And I just add on to that. She says, the division and racism in our world has gotten so bad. We've grown so far from love and connection. I want to create a space for people to feel heard and safe. That's my purpose on this earth. So well, Yumi. Is, yes. It's awesome. Yay, Yumi new. Um, she also, I think, is going to be launching a um, plus-size clothing line called Blukey, yeah. which mm. is um, going to offer sustainably sourced and ethically made apparel in larger sizes, which, yay, because I think <laughs> I feel like so much plus-size and big and tall fashion is very unsustainable and very unethically <laughs> sourced so yay, yay for that because that is a yeah. a much needed um feature in larger clothing. 
It's sort of a one-two punch of good news. Yes. We're going we're gonna to knock you out by the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile. Meanwhile. It's, um, it's yeah. Fat Watch 2021. Fat Watch, yeah. always. All fat, all the time. Yes. <laughs> all the news that's fat to print. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep, he's mine, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. <laughs> um, so this is a, a piece from uh, Refinery29, one of my favorite places. For um, They publish a lot of lovely fat things. And they have a, a series called The Single Files, where it's people writing about dating in various forms. Uh, and this is a piece from Danny Janae called I'm Fat and That Makes Using Dating Apps Difficult. And it's, she writes, it's an essay and she talks about being um, a fat black queer woman, you know, on, on the apps and kind of the, uh, the, 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 the types like of women. The that standard. Like, yeah. That, like the, the uh, beauty standard okay. for lesbians um, and about kind of the, the lack of um, representation of black women, brown women, and also just fat women, which the, uh, when we were talking about, um, I can't remember exactly which episode it was. But I shared the, um, the article talking about Ursula's or the mm. the attempt for Ursula's and mm. the this, attempt- this, this is like bear this is bear female lesbians. bears yes yeah. female Looking bears for terminology they they reached for Ursula since she's you know Ursa and the body type is well known mm-hmm. um, but how there isn't real I, I thought it was interesting because I feel like within the Chub Chase community the bear community we're like oh there's I think we have a lot of benefit in that, that there isn't proxies to um, necessarily in the lesbian community. Yeah, I think it's a story that you hear if you listen to people of color talk about this, that you, there there is this sort of ubiquitous, unfair standard of beauty, which is the thin white person. Mm-hmm. And this applies pretty much across the board, at least in American culture. And the idea that that is somehow the standard of beauty and that people that not only should that should you seek that out in a partner, but that you should want to be that yourself, mm-hmm. which is something that um, in, in a related, pro- not even for this podcast, but talking to somebody for a project for the Boston Cayman's Chorus um, was telling me about his experience with with racism. Um, and that was that was one of the key takeaways that he said was like, from the time that I was a kid, I've been taught that I should want to be white Mm -hmm. and that that was the standard to, to, to try and achieve, uh, which is very wrong and worth, worth changing the perception of that because it's not true. Was there a Mm -hmm. sense in the article about the, about, uh, there being like in, in the gay community, the gay male community, we have a plural, a proliferation of categories you can and tick boxes you can check and mark for better or for worse. Uh, is there is there that sort of proliferation in the uh, lesbian community? Um, she doesn't point. really. I mean, she talks about categories, but doesn't really break down as much. I know um, just I don't know from my own personal knowledge that there are not nearly as many categories as gay men have created. <laughs> well, um, I don't think right. any group can say they have as many subcategories as we've made. Absolutely. Yes. Well, because I mean, for again, for better, or for worse, the thing we get slammed for in the gay male community is that it's all about appearance and it's all about looks. And so, yeah, we created a whole bunch of categories that are based on looks. <laughs> <laughs> we so we can properly well, shop. And also we're one of the very few communities that is, I mean, we, we always harp on diversity. 
But literally every race, creed, and religion can have a gay man come from it. So <laughs> we have every single group present the, under our umbrella. It is the uh, the cheesecake factory menu of <laughs> yeah. people. Of sexuality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, yet, and yet, very, very curiously, I just heard from someone on Twitter about how how come I can't remember the dating app it was, but like you could mark bear, but you couldn't mark chub. And that in the United mm-hmm. States, at least, those are very distinct. Those are those are rather mm-hmm. distinct in mm-hmm. terms of culture and look. In Europe, it's a little more mushed together. Um, everybody, all, all fat men are bears. Um, right. So, uh, but that was an interesting, and, and I get that. I, I find a lot of chubs who are like, I'm not a bear, I'm a chub. And it's it's sort of, it's hard walking into a bear room when you're not a bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it was- these lines are so arbitrary. You know, like to this day, I still have no idea if I'm a bear or a chub. It Your depends chub. who you ask. You know? <laughs> Done. Yes. I just remember <laughs> it was th- how exciting it was when the mainstream porn websites finally separated bear and added chub to their <laughs> list of search like categories. I was like, <gasps> they listened. It's like they- when uh, <laughs> the, the pretzel mix people started selling just the bags of rye chips. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> that was a glorious day <laughs> see There's and that's dozens all, that's, of us <laughs> that's all anybody is asking for just their own separate little bag of rye chips <laughs> um isn't that really all we need in life? that's all we need it's funny though i'm thinking about what michael said as far as like being told that you you, you should be white right like and all that sort of thing and i was thinking like the term too gay too hmm. jewish too black you know, like mm. these are things thrown around in every single of those those subgroups, right? I, when you're told you're too white, like I think that's a joke, right? Like there's no that doesn't actually mean anything. Whereas to each of those subgroups, being told you're too gay, you know what that means, right? I don't know. I almost think I can like the instance of too white being like s- someone. A person of color being told they're too white. Yeah, it has a very different resonance depending on your, partic- oh, your particular you mean not race. saying it to a white person, yeah. saying it to somebody I mean, it who's de- like mixed it race. It depends, because or... I, I would say in the case of if you're telling a white person that, it's what Michael said. If you're telling a person of color, I think it's a, a completely different I yeah, see. I think yeah. If you're telling a person of color they're too white, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. And it's going to mean different things coming from a white person and a person of their own race and the person of another race entirely. Oh, mm-hmm. that's that's good. So, that's that's thorny. Can you imagine a white person <laughs> saying to a person of color, "You're too white"? Oh God! <laughs> oh. oh, let's let's. Let, there would be a conversation, but this there, conversation we're having right now does lead in very nicely to our broader yes. topic. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, it does indeed. Yes. Um. So we. This is something we've alluded to several times that we wanted to do an episode on racism in the Chub Taser community, and but more importantly, that we wanted to do it right. And not, you know, as Dan said an episode or two ago, like not want to just be, you know, three and a half white guys sitting here talking about racism. Um, and yet people have still asked us to do this episode. And I think it's important to do. Um, and people have written in many times over the last, I don't know, six to eight months. And this is what we came up with. So we put out the call to at first just people we knew and then people who knew people we knew. And we were just trying to get a sense of what does what do people who are not white think about this conversation? Because as Michael said, it's sort of silly for us as three and a half white guys to talk about the evils of racism 
it's sort of, I mean, we appreciate that people want to hear our opinions, but come on guys, we're, we're not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of us can talk authentically. I, about I am that, 50% qualified to talk about that. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, yeah. uh, and, and you know, what about, and, and the black experience is completely different from other experiences from, from, from anyway, you guys get it. So, um, what we wanted to do was have people in their own voice contribute to this conversation. And, but we didn't also want to have a series of interviews because on a podcast format, it's, you know, having a panel discussion can turn into just a Donnybrook. So we had people record answers to some specific questions. And mm. so today we're going to share with you the responses and the questions and um, you'll hear us uh, talk about it. Yeah. And it was like Dan said, really important to actually get people's voices. And so we'll play, we'll, we'll, I think we'll start with a question and just as we go through, play a clip that you can hear their own stories and their own experiences that we can then all absorb and think about and take forward. Um, and hopefully that starts a discussion that maybe some people weren't knowing they needed to have or planning on having. Um, so the first question we reached out to uh, for people to, to answer was in, in dating a chub or a chaser, has a guy ever had preconceived ideas about you based on your race? What happened and how did you deal with it? Hello, uh, my name is Dexter Mayfield, um, also known as Dex Rated on the social medias. Um, I live in Los Angeles, California, and I identify as a black cisgendered queer male. Um, there has been one, uh, one or two instances where I did have to check someone uh, about a few things uh, when it came in regards to uh, preconceived ideas or notions or prejudice uh, in that manner. It was actually uh, in Australia. Um, there was this one guy who definitely fetishized Black men. And I learned that actually after a friend who was also black and visiting, uh, interact with him as well. And he pretty much, the guy that I had a previous moment with actually didn't acknowledge me as if we never met or anything like that. So it was definitely interesting, especially because my friend was leaner, taller. And so I guess it became a hierarchy of, body size as opposed to my race but it was i was definitely i definitely felt that sense of being a fetish just in general just because of my skin tone and uh in that moment i actually ignored it and because it just wasn't worth my time and uh even my friend without me even mentioning that at all basically made the decision that that guy was not the best to deal with. Clearly there is a place and a time where this person is, is perfectly okay with how, with Dexter, like there is a, there is a setting in a situation where that is great by his, but for him. And then, then, and then to completely separate that out in like a more public setting is almost intentionally cruel or like, like to, to, to feel like you can just like run around and be like, no, actually I'm just going to treat this person this way. Like there, there's gotta be consequences to shit like that. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we can get the name of the guy. From Dexter. 
I, I hate to say it, it but just, it would just take too much time and energy to mete out the punishment to everyone who does this. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, this is yeah. not, you know, unfortunately having, you know, just read through some of the responses that we're seeing here. None of the responses we're getting here are going to be a surprise to any of the people of color listening to this. Mm-hmm. These are yeah. not rare events. So, but also I think the attitudes of the people experiencing these things are going to vary immensely. So for instance, Robert. Hey, my name is Robert and uh, I'm from LA and uh, I'm uh, Chinese. So I identify as an Asian. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to name who, but uh, one of my ex actually, when he first met me, he keep mentioning I look like Jackie Chan, which I don't. And But uh, it's, it's really about perceived motion, saying like all the Chinese people look the same. So, you know, way, it is uh, a little bit insulting. But at the same time, you know, I think uh, at least from the intention of Ray, I mean, it's obviously he's interested. So he was more about, you know, a misunderstanding or trying to get more inference, just curiosity. So that's why I more kind of, instead of being offended, I mean, like I give him more education, trying to get to know who I am, right, in many ways, how does, I mean, obviously a part of thing about my culture, but actually who I am. Yeah, and, and Robert's response for, for all of the questions was um, very much sort of like, I, I if, if people will just know me for me, I'm happy. If they don't like me because I'm Asian or whatever, that's too bad, but like, just get to know me for me, we should all get to know each other for each other. Here's the thing, though. We use, we use uh, psychologically speaking, there's a shorthand that we just apply to everyone. Like, what do you look like? What are my expectations based on people like you? What are my Mm -hmm. experiences based on people like you? Apply, right? And with Asian American representation having been as thin as it's been for the past 40 years, Mm. like it really isn't until the last five years where we actually have Asian people showing up in mainstream popular culture in Mm -hmm. more than Mm. one or two. When I was growing up, I was always referring to the Asian of the week in, Mm. in Hollywood where you had one male Asian actor and James Hong working at any given time. Right. Right. And then when that Asian actor sort of just the flavor wore off them or people stopped paying attention, a new Asian guy would wear up and he would be the Asian guy for the next five to 10 years, you know, and it's true of women too. Mm -hmm. Although it was easier for Asian American women to find any sort of work. So the whole Jackie Chan comparison thing for Asian people, that's really not a rarity because white people who would fetishize Asian people only knew two or three Asian people from popular (laughs) culture. Mm -hmm. So those were the three points of comparison that you'd get over and over and over. And they'd think they were complimenting uh, the Asian guy because who wouldn't want to look like Jackie Chan? He's handsome. He's an action star. He's awesome. Yeah, but you're the sixth person I've gone on a date with to tell me that this year. Yeah. And and as Robert points out, he doesn't look like Jackie Chan. And no, not even a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And like, let's also just the very basic etiquette of going on to a date and and telling the person you're on a date with who they look like. I just that feels uncomfortable to me. Like just as an (laughs) etiquette thing, like just on a base level, like don't don't do that. That's nobody's looking to hear that. It's like, is that your way of relating to an Asian person? Is that the way you have to open the conversation? Well, because what it comes down to is whatever your relationship to the person you're comparing them to, the other person doesn't know what it is you like about that person. All they get is what they think about that person. Yeah. So if, right. if they have no relationship to Jackie Chan, other than, you know, he's Asian, they're like, oh, great. You think I'm Asian. Good for you. So what, you know, and, and that's right. on a good day. Like there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole other tunnel you could go down to. What's interesting to me about Robert's response is, is he, he's so much more concerned with, you know, as Don said, there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of markers that white people have been exposed to in the media. And this is this is not to as an excuse, but Robert sees that as an opportunity to educate rather than an opportunity to set someone on blast. Yeah. 
And mm -hmm. I think, I think that's wonderful uh, just because <laughs> we could all use, we could all do a little more education. And I, I mm -hmm. think it, it's, it may be a way that he navigates this better because he's not stewing in something, but I don't know. I can't, obviously I'm not speaking for everybody because I don't experience this. I, I mean, I, I think it's great that he wants to educate and like take, take the opportunity to educate. But I mean, I, we're seeing more and more the understandable and deserved fatigue of people Absolutely. of color Absolutely. having to do this yeah. work. And I mean, that's part, I think that's one of my goals with the podcast and really even just fat activism is I think allyship is important so that, you know, allies can do some of this work and also just people can educate themselves. Um, right. Because like, imagine that you're going through life and every, every conversation you have to have has to start with a list of things that you have to do before you can even get to the substance of the conversation. Like, like you, mm -hmm. like you have bag, not bag, you have homework that you can either choose to do or the, the conversation go can go poorly if you don't. And it's not yeah. something that you should have to. Like, that is exhausting. Imagine <laughs> if every other person you ran into was a flat earther and wanted, <laughs> and wanted to talk about it. And in order to have the conversation with each and every one of them, you would have to explain the basics of astrophysics. And <laughs> like, it'd be really tiring if you had to do it four or five times a day. So yeah. here's another thing. I, I guarantee you, Robert has had this uh, conversation too, where someone tells them, wow, I've, you know, I've never been with an Asian guy before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that's one of those preconceptions of like, well, so I, so you're being with me because I'm Asian. Um, it's, there is well, no good way to continue that statement. So just don't make it in the first place. Well, it begs the question. Yeah. What's so different? Yeah. yeah like why what is, is your expectation? Yeah. Like, also, like, who, who are you expecting? Congratulations! Like, yeah. it's just like, wow, you're you, so woke. Now blow me. You know, it's like, yeah, like, what is the, what is the, what possible response could somebody have to that? Like, that would be helpful. Like, it's just useless. It's a useless statement and sentiment. Anyway, <laughs> felt it should be addressed. Um, mm, who else do mm -hmm. we have? Ah, uh, we have Sean. Hello. My name is Sean J. Lawrence. I am originally from New York City, the South Bronx, and now I live in Los Angeles, California, and I've been out here for 13 years. Um, I identify as a beautiful, bodacious, black chocolate chub. It's interesting because when people see me, they automatically assume that I'm a this dominant um, uh, aggressive, you know, uh, hip hop loving top. Um, and that's, you know, not me, you know, definitely I'm an outgoing person. I, you know, love to get to know people. Um, I love house music. It brings peace and happiness to my soul and a smile on my face. Um, I definitely identify as being a bottom, you know, you know, people assume that I'm going to be this um, fetish, you know, this, you know, big black fetish that's going to, you know, take care of them. I was like, no, I want to be taking care of myself. Um, you know, I tell people, get to know me as a person. You know, I'm going to try and get to know you and we're going to, you know, figure it out and meet in the middle and, and see what happens. You know, get rid of all these crazy ideas that you have. 
Yeah, and and that's I've we've heard the story before. This is was written to us specifically to address this kind of issue. And I, th- this was where we got caught with like, this is clearly very important to talk about. <laughs> How do we talk yeah, about this? Yeah. And I think that's why it's important. Yeah. Well, to Michael, put this in like as a white person. Um, yeah, it's, I have nothing but uh, empathy for this person where, how do you, what do you do about that? Like, how do you just get caught in this box? This, again, one of the interviews we did for the chorus, and I just pull in this because these were like in-depth interviews with a lot of the same subjects. And he was talking about the, the box that he lived in for a long time because he couldn't express his gayness in the black community and he couldn't express this racial charge he was dealing with in his gay community. And like just the idea of like living in this space by yourself without any way to, to fight back. I do feel like like it's one of the reasons why you do see a lot of racial segregation in the gay community is because mm. if you're, if your two major intersections of, you know, is gay and black and gay people don't understand blackness and blackness, black people don't understand gayness you're going to find that over those people that mm. do share that overlap may cluster together in order to talk about all the rest of the people, the, the bullshit that they have to go through because of them. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, yeah. that's, yeah, I never thought of that, Tom. That's good. And then, I mean, we have the other, you know, compounded factor here of the, within the Chub Chaser community. Um, I mean, this is why I think it's so important to talk about intersectionality because you have all of these different parts of an identity that are different ways people are oppressing you. And then you go into each of these communities hoping to kind of find a space mm-hmm. to be. And then, okay, well, no, I can't, I'm too, I'm too much of this for this, you know, yeah. too fat this for other the part gays. of my identity. Too black for the fat people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's like the goal would be, obviously the goal would be for any vaguely open-minded person to be able to just take people as they are. And, and to introduce experience somebody on their terms and let them inform what you think about them. And that is, it's a great idea. I don't think most people do that. And so my hope for this moment, for this show, for the continuing forward, because we're going to keep doing things like this is to just remind people that that is, that is actually work you need to actively do. You can't just depend on the on the person you're interacting with, like Sean, for instance, to tell you or to educate you to like, okay, no, don't walk in this door with all of your preconceived notions. Just meet me as I am. He shouldn't have to remind you to do that. So let us be that annoying reminder so that you can actually, you know, take that into your life if that's something that that, you know, if you're on the other side of this fence. So the next big question we have, this is this has been a hot topic in gay communities forever, as far mm, as I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is not unique to the Chub Chaser community either. But the question is, are you attracted to people of one race more than another? If so, have you been criticized for this? Yeah. We'll let Armando start us off here. Hello, my name's Armando. I live in San Francisco, California. I'm Latino, I'm gay, and I'm chaser. Okay. As I was saying, like, I lived most of my life in Mexico. That's where I grew up. And one of the things that, like, it's drilled in your mind from an early age is the beauty standards, you know, like, the person that you like has to be skinny, has to be white, 
if they have blue eyes that's perfect you know blonde or whatever and so when i came out of the closet that's what i was looking for you know like just like i'm a chaser so i was like oh i would like give priority to like a white job let's say over the rest of the people that was available for me to date and when i started college i started like hanging out with people that made me realize of these ideas and the colorism that I had in my mindset and how that was affecting my personal relationships. So it's not that I, you know, I was criticized by it. It's more like I kind of realized, oh, like, so you would never date someone that looks like you or why would you not, I don't know. Like, I was just not registering it until I grew older, I guess. Yeah, I think Armando's experience is, um, that's not, that's not unique. I, I gotcha, Armando. There's a lot of people that feel that way mm. or at least go through phases of this, right? Mm -hmm. I think when you first start acting on your sexuality, like when you're first going out the door, I, I can't fault anyone for going after the sexual fantasy that they've built up in their head over the, you know, whatever 10 years of life it took for them to reach sort of sexual um, agency, right? But the starting point isn't where you live. As, as you live and grow and go outside the box, if you are still insisting that the only sexual partner for you is the very first one that you imagined, I mean, it, one, it's a show of sexual immaturity, and two... <sighs> I mean, what do you guys think? Is this is is it is it I'm, outrightly racist to say I only date one race, um, or well, that, I only find one race attractive? Well, what I found really interesting about Armando's response is how he acknowledges that his his colorism, because he uses the word colorism a lot, and yeah. in and in Mexico th that that has a lot more sense because there's you know that they they have a, a long history of that yeah. uh, in the law and in the culture, and. I, what I found so interesting is he he began to realize that this this idea of my ideal mate as being you know the blonde white chub, and first of all you have to get to chub just because you know the thin the thin mm. fat thing, but that he began mm. to realize mm. that this was affecting him and how he looked at himself because he ain't that white, and how he was you know how he was he was undervaluing himself and I I, I get this from other parts of the of the interview with him that he he was looking at how to, you know if if i'm not the ideal what does that say about my relationship to myself yeah what one thing that i've always wondered about this phenomenon because i've heard a lot of guys almost everyone i've talked to has mentioned this like that sort of the idea that the sort of the white chub is the not this is true but just colloquially the gold standard yeah. in the chub chaser world um and that anyone who's not that has to kind of fight against that current unfairly. Um, and one thing I've always wondered is that it's certainly in America and in, in many countries, like the white person, the white man typically is the one who has most of the power in that society. And I'm curious if that subconsciously or socially plays a role in wanting to do things to or with, with the person in charge, even if it's just a perception thing? I mean, I think part of that is just like, I'm from all of the, the answers to this question, um, 
especially one of the upcoming ones. Um, I'll expand on this later, but I think a lot of it is just because, you know, everything in America has been so white up until more recently. I mean, every media is still, you know, predominantly white, but I think, you know, growing up, we were talking, you know, talking about sports illustrated, like, you know, for the straight male fantasy, there has been a very manufactured image of what is beautiful. And when that is so ingrained into society in so many different ways that kind of corrupts the, you know, the soil and affects how people develop their, yeah, their taste there. Well, their, especially when you're, the, you're, you're putting up this billboard of, of, of white male perfection and that's not actually what white males look like. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it, it's yeah. sort of ridiculous that nobody, not, nobody, passes that beauty standard yeah and well yeah even within a group of white male chubs like they're gonna look wildly different even within their own and and guys who don't fit a really specific standard in that white male chub group they'll get filtered out by this fake ideal but and there's there's also something this plays into a previous answer about how you know who do you take home to your parents and I there there's that's a story what that, I was about to lead into. Too. Yeah, like I, I have directed you know, my father. My father was born in Italy along with all his brothers and sisters. And it was a real coup when he brought home a blonde white woman of German descent as mm. his girlfriend, later to be my mother. And like that was that was part of the American dream for my family at one time. I don't think it is now, yeah. but, but like there was a sense of that, like, Oh, she's so pretty. She's so blonde. She has blue eyes. Oh my God. And I mean, my dad is Italian and I mean, it's, it's, it, it there's, there's, there's a whole construction of whiteness where, you know, there was a time when, when, when the Italians weren't white and there was a time when the yeah. Irish weren't white, uh, a white whiteness is constructed and you, you have to be, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole long history lesson but yeah. so seeing my mother that way like that was the american dream for an italian immigrant that was i had an ex who when he from the deep deep south uh came out you know in his early 20s and you know to his very religious bible belt southern family and the response was basically well we just want you to be happy we're okay that you're gay just don't date somebody black yeah yeah, you know, like that being gay was okay before <laughs> dating a black person. Like that is, that blew my mind actually when he told me. I was like, are you, uh, ha- like, really? But also, yeah, like that is. People have this. People think that. Well, which also they're... leads into these evolutions of uh, sexual maturity, uh, mm. sexual racial maturity, where mm. like, so yeah. So first off, there are the people that, you know, can't imagine sleeping with someone of, you know, outside their race or outside the race that they're attracted to. Um, and then there are the people that become oh so woke that they'll fuck someone outside their race, but mm-hmm. dating them? No. Like, right. Um, and I'm, I find that's much more common of what I run into in California is, you know, oh, I'll fuck anyone, but I won't, I'm not going to date, you know, mm-hmm. a Latino person or a, an Asian person. Because uh, I would just be so far outside my experience, I'll never fit in with my family, and I'll like wait. Hmm, let's talk that through for a moment. You know, well, and a lot of people of color disc- discuss that as well. Uh, of 
of a Chinese American bringing home a white guy to their Asian parents, sure, or uh, uh, someone, someone African American who brings home a white guy to date to their parents, are like, what is this about? You know. So let's before we move on to the next question, let's hear from Sean and Corin, which I think we'll just play them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely um, like guys from all walks of life, races, and you know, white, black, Spanish, Asian, um, Latin. Um, I definitely have uh, been to known to like white guys a little bit more. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't like people from other races. Um, people definitely have criticized me for that. And, you know, sometimes people assume that, you know, because they have seen me talk to a lot of white guys, that that's the only thing that I like. And I was like, no, no, let's, let's you know, get to know me as a person. And there's definitely some other things that I do like. And we we can we can figure it out together, <laughs> um, but it definitely um, sometimes does put you in a uh, certain aspect, a certain light with people. My name is Corin. I'm black, and I'm in the not so great state of Texas. And I am a chaser. I've had a guy I was really into constantly fixing on my blackness whenever describing my appearance. Like all of his compliments started with, "Oh, you're so cute." Black insert body part etc. At that point, I just left them on red and ghosted them because someone who thinks like that probably has a lot of other racist notions in their head, but it's very depressing how this sort of behavior limits potential connections. Yeah. So I feel like I, I, I'm more in a line with Corin's response where it's specific physical features are things I find attractive. You know, like, so for me, it's a strong jawline, right? Mm-hmm. I, a strong jawline, it, that, that is the definition of handsome to me. But that exists in most races, right? So I, I guess I'm lucky that my default tends to make it easier for me to find people of any group attractive. That That is my question that, like, this is a sticky subject. Oh, yeah. And this, this is a tricky one to talk about, but I think we should, which is, is there... Obviously, there is a difference, but I'm just... I want to hone in on what the differences are, if we can identify them between racism which would be somebody saying I won't date a black person or an Asian person or whatever, like picking a race and saying I won't, or that I will exclusively do this other race, which typically is white, but not always. There's also the people who are like, I only fuck black guys, which is a whole other kind of racism versus having any other kind of declared preference. Like for instance, I'm a chaser. So I exclusively date and am interested in fat guys where Given that racism has a completely other set of like social significances, at what point, can, for instance, can somebody say that I am sizeist against skinny people because I only date chubs? Right, or, which would be ridiculous. Or that you're, or like, that you're misogynist because you never date women by policy. Sure, yeah, because I identify as gay. Yeah. Like, and I'm, that's not to say that like choosing to only you know be attracted, only being attracted to white guys is somehow the same as being a chaser. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what are those differences? Are we able to identify them? How does that, what, what is that? I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that and I'm still going around in my head about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I, go ahead. But yeah. I, I think the big thing that why, why people are so hurt and pained by this is because in so many instances of this exclusivity, people feel dehumanized. And I think often there are people who are not intentionally doing so, but are dehumanizing 
the individual that they are saying, I only do X or I won't do X mm-hmm. because it is just this, like, you Very know. Very well put. It is like. Yeah, yeah. They like when see, you say, like, I'm not going to date Asian guys, like, what does that mean? You're not going to date guys of a specific skin shade? You don't like guys from from Asia? Or does that include Asian Americans? Like, when you really start boring down into what it is they're saying, it's hard to not just point out that that's really freaking racist. You know, when you're excluding mm-hmm. a group because of one adjective. And when right. it becomes the thing of, you know, no fats, no femmes, no Asians, mm-hmm. it is hard for it not to, I, I mean, I don't even know. It is just so. I feel like that's one of the consequences of having so much choice, like, mm-hmm. especially now when you have access to the internet and all of the people who inhabit the internet and it now in the same way that you have entire groups of people that can get together because they think that you know, Trump's presidency was stolen from him and they find a corner of the internet to gather together. You can also find a corner of the internet where you can, you can pick, you can Mm -hmm. literally just ignore everybody that you're not by default interested in. I think that just makes it very easy to continue to do that. Not that that's the the only reason it exists, but. But also the more often you say something like that, the more often you affirm it to yourself and Mm -hmm. those around you. Right. It's like, Oh, I don't find Asian guys attractive. Well, the more often you say that, the less likely it is you're going to be able to find an Asian person attractive. And, and you're drilling that into the person next to you. That, exactly. That's what I was going to say. You like are disseminating that, that, that idea, this fictionalized idea that that's somehow true. Uh, and just the, the way that we, you know, the, the, the way the internet has become, you know, people treat Grindr like Grubhub. <laughs> and it is not yeah i mean while it has the convenience factor that i may have a delicious meal in my room within 30 minutes like michael said there's just so much choice that i think people don't realize it's easy to stop thinking people. of them as people yeah yeah like it's yeah. they're a, they're a product on the other side that you're trying to acquire and I think that's just, I mean, that happened, I think, is what has happened with social media, because it is just, you don't, uh, people aren't thinking of each other as people. Yes, right. I, I think there's also a context here that we're, we're stepping over. And that is, or I should say, over a series of overlapping contexts. For example, it is one thing for a white guy to say, I don't date black guys. It is quite another thing for a black guy to say, I don't date white guys. Mm-hmm. It is one thing yeah. for a, it is one thing for a, a, a Christian guy to say, I don't date Jews. It is another thing for a Jewish guy to say, I don't date non-Jewish women because I would never take her home to my mother and we would never have children together because I want my children to be Jewish. So there's a whole bunch of overlapping contexts that are not equivalent. And I think that's the problem that a lot of us have is it's very hard to because one of the ways that we 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 think about this is through analogy. So like I say, well, I'm not black, but I'm gay. Well, the problem is the gay lens is not equivalent to the black lens. And mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't function. Right. And, you know, well, I'm not uh, I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not Jewish, but I'm gay. So but they don't function equivalently. And so we get tied up in a lot of. But why and how come? And, and, and there's so much history and there's so much, as I say, these these filters are so very, very different. 
And of course, what I'm pointing to is intersectionality, but it's it's highly complex. And it's just something we're working through. Mm-hmm. So as you guys might have noticed, uh, this is definitely a two-parter plus, and we'll, we'll continue on in a part two this week. Um, so stay tuned for that, and we'll see you next time.